out of all the passages that could have been used, this was the one. You heard earlier how Jesus was in his hometown of Nazareth. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day just as he always did. And the Gospel writer Luke tells us that the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Who decided that? Was it the attendant there, the keeper of the scrolls who who selected Isaiah in particular? Or had Jesus asked him for that specific scroll? There were certainly other choices. The Old Testament, as we know it, was the Bible of the Jewish people at that time. 39 books, literally thousands, even tens of thousands of verses. But no matter how it happened, I'm convinced it was no coincidence that Jesus took the scroll of Isaiah. Even then, by our counting, there were 66 chapters available for him to choose from, about 1,200 verses altogether, and this is where Jesus turned. He and the others in the synagogue that day, they, they couldn't have, they wouldn't have referred to it as chapter and verse by, or the way that we do and can today, but it was Isaiah 61 beginning with the very first verse. So why this section of Scripture. After all, at other times, we've heard Jesus say, we've heard Him remind us that every single verse of Scripture is about Him. So many verses that could have been used throughout the Bible, so many verses from Isaiah's prophecy in particular, but this was the one that Jesus chose by which to introduce himself to his hometown worshipers. Do you suppose then that this passage is worthy of our close attention? Let's look and see how rich, how meaningful this passage is. It tells us, just as it told believers for many centuries, that the Anointed One brings good news. The fact of the anointing is immediate and upfront in these verses. The Spirit of the Lord is on the one who is speaking in these words because the Lord has anointed him. This is one of many verses that explain for us the term the Messiah, or in the New Testament, the term the Christ. Both of those mean the anointed one. In Old Testament times, kings were anointed to demonstrate that God had chosen them. Priests were anointed to indicate their selection into that particular calling. Prophets were anointed for the same reason as well. But so many promises, so many prophecies just like this one spoke about an anointing that was even greater, even better, an office that combined all three of these, prophet, priest, and king. This anointed one, this special one, was the object of longing and waiting and anticipation. And no wonder that he was, because he brings good news. Look at what this good news consists of. He proclaims freedom. 
He says, you are free and you will be free. With synonym after synonym, he describes the freedom he has come to bring. Release for the bound, comfort for mourners, freedom for captives. Now, those who first heard these words from the prophet Isaiah were also those who were warned about exile in Babylon. For people whom God chastised by handing them over to their enemies, here was the good news. Freedom, release, return, restoration. They could go back to the land that was so important to them, so precious, so special to them. They could trade in their mourning attire for joy and beauty and celebration. And all of us who hear these words today are still haunted by many of these same issues. Afflicted broken-hearted, mourning. I'm sure you can think of people who fit those categories. I'm sure that at times you could fit yourself into those categories. No, I'm not talking to people who are captives in Babylon or in any other foreign land, but I am talking to people who can be taken captive by things like disease or fear or pain, or suffering. I am talking to people who were born in captivity to sin and to unbelief. I'm talking to people who are far too often enslaved by the things that they don't want to do and the things that God doesn't want them to do either. I'm talking to people whose actions have earned for themselves captivity to death and to hell itself. In other words, I'm talking to people who need this good news. I'm talking to people who need release and freedom and comfort and joy. And I get to tell you about the one who brings it. The one who was anointed to do exactly that. Jesus told us already, just as he did the synagogue worshipers in Nazareth, he said, I'm the one. He said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The year of the Lord's favor was at hand as Jesus preached and taught. Think a bit more on that figure, the, the year of God's favor. In Old Testament times, every 50 years, the 50th year was supposed to be a year of jubilee. All debts would be canceled. All the land that had to have been sold off to others would be returned to the family that first owned it. All slaves, every single one throughout all of Israel would be set free. Now, Scripture seems to suggest for us that if the year of Jubilee was ever celebrated, it certainly wasn't celebrated every 50 years. But Jesus was coming to usher in an even better year of the Lord's favor. 
Here was release for slaves to sin and slaves to death and slaves to unbelief. This was a restoration to a promised land that was even better and longer lasting than that promised land that surrounded Jerusalem. God was canceling the debt of sin owed by each and every one of us. That's what he did by sending Jesus, not only to preach, but also to die and to rise again. He is the Messiah. He was anointed for this purpose, and he was not just bringing good news. He was the good news. He is the good news. And there's more. God's promises here are couched not just in terms of freedom and release. To this, you will be free, God adds, you will be priests. In fact, God's promises stack one upon another. Not only would the captives return to the land, they would be planted in it firmly. They would rebuild it completely. They would receive the wealth of nations and the work of foreigners in place of the oppression that they had faced before. And all of this, we're told, is to the glory of God alone. Let's focus on just two of those particular promises in this, in this section. The one declares, they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord to display His beauty. Can't help but think of one particular tree, a tree about which I've heard many stories. It's right over there. In our courtyard stands a black walnut tree. And it's probably been right in that place as long as anyone here can remember. The courtyard, the fellowship hall, were all built up around it. Some had even suggested that it could come down. But that didn't make sense to those who had already enjoyed its shade. And so you don't think I'm deceiving you. I heard just another story today about a member who said he would chain himself to that tree rather than letting it be cut down. And so it still stands. And who knows how many miles we would have to travel through this desert to find another black walnut tree the size of that one. I think it would be a long way. But God says this, that He will plant us like a tree, like that tree. That's how firmly He would plant His people, establishing them to accomplish His purposes, to display His glory and His beauty. That's how the people stood in the promised land after God brought them back, after they returned from Babylon. It's also how we stand right now. People established by God, planted by Him, displaying His praise. That's how He's going to plant us finally into our eternal home in heaven. And that's a promise that will outlast that tree or any other on this earth. In fact, God says, picture two, His people will be the Lord's priests and ministers of our God. Not only are His people planted to display His glory and His beauty, He allows them, He gives them the opportunity to serve Him, 
and to approach Him. And consider how this would have sounded to an Old Testament believer. Priests at that time could only come from one particular tribe, the tribe of Levi, and they had to be descendants of Aaron specifically in order to serve in this way. And the priests were the only ones who could go to the temple to offer sacrifices. They were the only ones who could serve as mediators between God and people. But in the age of the Anointed One, the Messiah, in the New Testament, we don't need a mediator. Jesus has brought us into God's presence. With our sins forgiven, we can go directly to God with our prayers and with our praises. And we can share that good news with others too. Jesus has made us His ministers and His priests. The Anointed One brings this good news. We've heard it. We'll want to continue to hear it. He makes us free. He makes us His priests. And yet many refuse to listen to this good news. Consider again those people exiled into Babylon. They faced that fate because they had rejected God. And while some listened to amazing and wonderful promises like these promises of return from captivity, restoration to the land, of salvation itself, those who listened, those who believed were always a, a small remnant. They were never the majority even of God's own people, the Israelites. So many more were not moved by that news. They remained in darkness. They remained in captivity. Not necessarily physical captivity, but certainly spiritual captivity. And then many years later, Jesus used these very verses, these very promises, these very prophecies to introduce Himself to His hometown synagogue. He spoke to the people who should have been the most excited to hear this amazing news. He shared with them the incredible fact that they were witnesses to prophecy being fulfilled, promises being kept. But in one of the, one of the saddest and strangest reactions of all, they not only left this good news behind, they tried to toss it off a cliff. That needs to be a warning for us. Even news as amazing as that in the verses before us can be taken for granted. Verses like these can be dismissed when what we see doesn't match up with what we expect to see or hope to see. The same sinful heart that's led so many to reject the good news resides in us. That heart's been changed only by God's love being poured out on us. So listen. Listen to the voice of the Anointed One. Listen to the good news. Hold on to that good news and share it with others. Even if that means that many will reject it as they hear it from us. Clearly, there's a good reason that this passage was the one Jesus used in the synagogue that Sabbath day. 
It overflows with this good news. Good news from the anointed one himself. He sets us free. He makes us priests. Let's continue to listen to him and to praise him. Amen.